at the Welcome Center. So if any of our youngins like to go to Children's Church, Miss Carrie is over there. And I bet Michael's going to hang out with y'all tonight, this morning. I know that's going to be fun. Amen. Thank y'all so much. Aren't you grateful for the blood of Jesus this morning? Amen. I am too. I want to encourage you to open your copy of God's Word, the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to encourage you to find verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. We're continuing to talk to you today what we started last week on developments in the last days. Everybody wants to know how things are going to go and what's going to happen, and I'm sure there are things that we will not be 100% clear on this side of eternity, but as clear as possible, we want to read, study, and proclaim from God's word that which is able to help us be faithful in these days that we're living. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. If you're physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. We're going to read verse 5 through 12. We will not get that far, but it's all the same context, and it's important that when you read, study, and proclaim, whether through preaching or teaching the Bible, that you keep things in proper context. It causes a lot of problems when you get out of that. So we want to read this together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul referring to the things he said in verses 1 through 4. It says in verse 6, it says, As you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Father, in Jesus' name, pray you speak mildly to our hearts today. And Father, I pray that you would send a fresh anointing across this body of believers, and across this land today, that your people would seek you with all their heart and help us to reach those yet to know you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I really believe, as I just said in our prayer, there's a, the song that talks about a fresh anointing, how we cannot borrow from yesterday, how we need God to come and feed us to teach us of Jesus, his will, and his way. Well, I really believe in these days that we're living in, we see so many things taking place around us that cause us to think, you know, what is ahead? How can we prepare? And how can we, as God's people, be faithful to our Father, regardless of what happens around us. Well, I want to begin today by looking at verse 5, and we want to pick up is where we left off last week. And I want to talk to you where Paul reminds us some things. And the reminder from the Apostle Paul is in verse 5, and I want to speak just briefly about that because it 
takes us back to what he taught us in verses one through four last week, how that we should not be shaken, that we should not be troubled, that we should not listen to the lies of Satan, that we should not get caught up in what the world thinks, but instead of what God's word has taught us to be true. We talked just briefly about the man of sin and the falling away that would precede the coming of the day of the Lord. We'll talk more about him in the coming weeks because there's more to be said in this chapter, but we wanted to make sure that everyone understands that we are definitely living in the days where people are definitely falling away from their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a days where commitment and surrender are foreign words to many people who profess to know Jesus. And we're living in those days and we know that we are headed toward the return of our Lord. Uh, we just sang about it. I've come to tell you that he's alive, that he dries every tear that falls. I've come to tell you that he saves and I've come to tell you that he's coming back. So Paul writes to remind them and he concludes these words and he paused just to ask the church if they had remembered what he previously taught them. See, all of Paul's teachings of the promise of Christ's return were meant to be an encouragement to the church. When I tell you today, Jesus is coming again, it ought to light a fire in your soul. It ought to not be something that makes you sad. It ought to be something that makes you glad. However, they had become confused about the timing of the day of the Lord. They had been troubled. They had been shaken they had gotten a forged letter that was supposedly from Paul but was not. They were believing that. They didn't know who to believe. They were confused about the timing of the day of the Lord and they had lost focus and perspective instead of living with hope and joy. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lesson for the church of the 21st century today to learn is that we need to be filled with hope and joy even in the spite of difficult circumstances we cannot lose our focus and perspective by looking at temporary things. We must be focused on the eternal things of God. I like what Danny Aiken said. He said this, he said, those who preach and teach must remember that God has given them the assignment to prepare their people to face many of life's issues. The commitment requires proclaiming the biblical texts both systematically and expositorily. We cannot pick and choose what portions of the Bible we think the people need to hear. Paul's breadth of teaching in Thessalonica serves as a powerful model for the well-rounded and balanced preaching and teaching ministry. Hence, just as Paul sought to prepare the Thessalonian Christians with God's uh, truth, so too you, the preacher, speaking to me and speaking to those who teach and preach the Bible, you must prepare the congregation for the inevitable demands of life by exposing them repeatedly to the scriptures. I like that. I believe that. I don't believe that I could find any other book under the sun to come and speak to you about today that would prepare you for all the issues of life other than the blessed word of God. I believe there are wonderful helps and as I tell you, I milk a lot of cows to be prepared to churn some butter to bring out here and put on the table on Sunday mornings but can I tell you, all of those are just helps None of them precede the truth of the word of God and some of them are not always right. Some of them have differing beliefs. And can I say to you, some of them contradict one another and sometimes they contradict themselves. 
but commentaries and scripture helps and all Bible dictionaries and word studies and all these are wonderful helps but we must never forget that the greatest commentary on the word of God is the word of God. Never forget that. So my assignment today is much like Paul's assignment of his day was to take the word and help people understand its truth and give you a steady exposure to the word of God repeatedly and never make apology for it. Today, so many people are trying to learn how to be slick and trying to learn how to be relevant and trying to learn how to be all these different things when I believe what God has called us to do today, ladies and gentlemen, is just be ambassadors of the word of God, of the son of God, and be joined together with the other people of God and just take his word from this building and that we would go into an unbelieving world and we would share the truth of God's word with every person we possibly can because when we share God's word with them that is the only word that will take them past the grave the only one so the admonition of Paul in verse 5 has two implications for the body of Christ let me talk about them briefly the first thing he talks to them about is he's talking about their former lessons see before he could proceed further in his teaching on future events he had to know that they hadn't forgot the words that he had taught them in the past See, we remember our former lessons, whether they are lessons we have been taught or lessons we learn by experience. And when we do so, it enables us to grow in grace so that we might prepare for greater challenges. It's very important we understand that we do that. Not only did he talk to them about the former lessons that he had taught them, he reminded them about faithful leaders and faithful leadership. Uh, Paul, along with his ministry team, he's got Timothy, he's had Silas, and he's got these guys together on these missionary journeys. And as they serve together, he wants the people to remember them. And let me say this something to you about leaders. Sometimes you're gonna, not going to believe this, but in many cases, people don't always remember their lessons. You teachers are shocked. Right? That's why when I share with y'all some little thing that I learned, it's just amazing that I learned anything, right? But here's the deal. You don't always remember your lessons, but you will never forget your leaders. Amen? That's very important. Uh, Paul wanted to make certain that he was faithful to God because he wanted to be one who projected the Christ life to these people. He didn't want to be unfaithful in that at all. So when we talk about leaders, hear me. In whatever area of life you're leading, whether it's your family, whether it's at your job, whether it's in the church or in the community, I want you to know people are looking for faithful leadership today. So during those three weeks that Paul was with them, he taught them extensively about the day of the Lord. First Thessalonians, I told you, all five chapters end with a reference to the coming of the Lord. And Paul emphasized his personal investment of truth in the church. He said, don't you remember when I was with you? <laughs> Many might be tempted to withhold those teachings on prophecy. Many might do so due to the lack of available time or spiritual maturity of the believers, but not Paul. Paul was in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. He had three times to hit them, buddy, and in three weeks he poured into them like they was drinking from a fire hose. He didn't hold anything back because, well, we don't have much time. 
Well, these people haven't been believers very long. No, 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 no. He knew that he had to strike while the iron was hot and he had to pour the truth into these people because the days ahead, they were gonna need it. Hear me, hear me. That's why it means so much to me today to stand here with you with the word of God in my hand and the power of the spirit of God in my heart to help prepare you for the days ahead because hear me, you're gonna need it. You're gonna need it. I read this week that Paul did not regard prophetic truth as something that's too deep or unimportant or controversial for new Christians. He believed that it was a vital part of the whole counsel of God, so he taught without hesitation or apology. Here's what Paul knew. Acts chapter 20, verse 27 tells us, Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. He said, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He told the church at Ephesus, I have opened my heart, I've opened my soul, and I've opened the word, and I have taught you all the counsel of God. And I did so without apology or backing up. He didn't say because you were a new Christian. He didn't say because I'm not gonna be here very long, I'm gonna withhold these things. No, he poured his heart out. He was a faithful leader. So there was a reminder from the Apostle Paul. But there's also a second thing I want you to notice in verses six and seven. He also talks about the restraining work of the Holy Spirit. Now in order to remind the Thessalonian believers further about the day of the Lord and that it was yet to come and they had not missed it, he writes the words of verse six and seven. Y'all follow with me if you will, okay? Here's what the Bible says. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his time. And these two verses, we're gonna park out here, okay? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. See, in order to fully understand these things, we've gotta know about the work of the restrainer. Well, let's talk about that work. Verses six and the last part of verse seven talks to us about powerful control. Paul was teaching on the restraining work of the Antichrist and it has been such a debate among many trusted Bible commentators. You know there are people who disagree about this but I believe the Lord is helping us understand it the best that we know how. There have been a lot of people tried to explain that the restrainer spoken of here in verse six and the last part of verse seven, some have come up with some reasons, some have came up with some possibilities and made some arguments for who or what this restraining force is. Some might argue that the restraining force is the preaching of the gospel. Some might say that it is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Some say that the restraining force is the influence of the church in the world. <laughs> Others would say it's human government, but I'll bet we all know that's not it, amen? And there are even others that think that the general principle of laws and morality are what is restraining the unleashing of evil and the appearance of the man of sin in the day of the Lord coming upon this earth. Thank you, brother. You saw me pouring from the back, didn't you? Lord have mercy. Are y'all hot? Uh, okay, just checking. Somebody asked me, said, Preacher, it was hot in church today. I said, it'll be hot wherever I'm at. It'll be 15 degrees. I'll be sweating in here, amen? 
But all of these things I just mentioned, the preaching of the gospel, the nation of Israel, human government, the influence of the church, the general principles of laws and morality, none of them are sufficient to be able to restrain the work of evil, the rise of antichrist, and the day of the Lord from coming upon the earth. You see, human power, ingenuity, and institutions cannot restrain the supernatural power of Satan as he seeks to release the Antichrist on the world. There are also those who say the restraining force of causing evil to not spread, the man of sin to be revealed, and the day of the Lord to come to the earth would be that of the work of the archangel Michael. But we know in Jude verse 9 that we prove he was no match for the devil on his own. No, no human, no angelic power at all restrains. So that leaves only the power of God to hold back the purpose of Satan. See, we understand that the power of God is the only power under the sun that can hold back the work and the power of Satan. But I want you to notice some specific language in the text today, okay, regarding the identity of the restrainer. Look in verse six again, if you will. Paul mentions who restrains, excuse me, what restrains. Let me back that up. In verse six, he talks about what restrains, and that's gender neutral. Paul points also in verse seven to who is doing the restraining, and that's in the masculine, that's a person. Verse six, he refers to the restrainer as a force. And in verse seven, the restrainer is a person. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that's why it's important that you study the word of God and see the truth. Here's what we know. The implication is, is that someone has the ability to exercise supernatural force that is currently holding back the work of the Antichrist. Someone. See, Paul taught the believers at Thessalonica that the Holy Ghost was with them, not only present with them, but was actually dwelling within them. Notice the last part of that verse, if you will. He says, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, there's an event that'll take place any day, any hour, any time. That is when the Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that the Lord himself, verse 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That event we know very well is called the rapture of the church. There are people who don't believe that. We've talked about that, and I feel sorry for them. Because very soon, before the day of the Lord begins, before I even believe the revelation of the inner Christ is made known to the world, I believe that based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and the Old Testament picture of Enoch when he walked with God and he was not because he walked with God for God took him. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is coming for his church. The trumpet of God will sound and we're gonna meet him in the air. 
I did a, a funeral Saturday, Friday and the last song that they sung, Sweet Man and His Wife, that I did their wedding years ago, they sat over there by the piano and they played that song. Oh, look here. There's coming, what's the word? Wretched lives are oh so sad to see those who dwell in misery, but in heaven no more grief or pain. Ruined lives are made whole again. Oh, what a happy, come on, somebody help me. A day that will be what a glorious jubilee. All of heaven will be there. What a meeting in the air. Aren't you looking for that? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking for that. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. Amen. Thanks be to God that he's going to call us to meet him in the air. God, help us. God, help us to not get so caught up in all these things that we can't control and let's get our eyes on the one who's in control of everything. Oh, thanks be to God for that. Church is gonna be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. A climactic change will occur concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me help you with that. The restraining force, I believe, that is withholding the work of Satan bringing the Antichrist to the scene, the day of the Lord beginning is the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is working in the lives of believers and dwells believers. But when the church is raptured, we think we've got chaos now. We see nothing. Let me tell you how we can explain it, okay? The Bible does not say that the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world. He says he'll be taken out of the way. Now come here, Saul, you, you and Biscuit, come right here, won't y'all come here a minute. Yeah. I thought about how I'd illustrate that this morning and I saw y'all in my dream sitting on the front, right? <laughs> All right, now look here. I want you two guys to face me. Get right there in the aisle, like your football practice, look tough, go, okay, right? Okay, now look here. These two guys right here, they are in my way, aren't they? If I try to get to Glenn back here, that wouldn't be too hard, but anyhow, I... I, I, I I want to see if y'all listening, right? People go to sleep on the preacher. But no, no, if I want to get to Glenn, they could resist me and restrain me. They could hold me back. But if I took them over here and I said, sorry, stand right over here. Biscuit, get right over here beside him, okay? And I said, okay, they're over here. Now, are they restraining me anymore? Are they still in the building? I've taken them out of the way, but not out of the world. So what I'm saying to you is, is what's going to happen after the church is raptured is that the Spirit of God will still be alive and well because he's omnipresent. You can't do away with him. But God is going to allow him to be moving to the side, taken out of the way, so that nothing will restrain the spread of evil. Now, thank you. Y'all are beautiful. I appreciate y'all. Y'all give them a hand right there. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> so what's going to happen is, is when the church is out, the Holy Spirit of God's ministry of indwelling believers will be taken out of the way so that the Antichrist will rise on the scene and the day of the Lord will ensue and the time of great tribulation will be upon us. Now, the first three and a half years are not going to be bad for a lot of folks. It's going to be chaotic. Everybody's going to think it's fine. The man of sin will talk about more. He'll make everything look like it's going to be great. But that last three and a half, those last 42 months, 
is when God will unleash his judgment upon this world. See, it's impossible to remove the Holy Spirit. As I told you, he's omnipresent. That's why I believe during this age of grace that the church must be doing the three things we talk about a lot here. We must be sharing the word of God. We must be showing the love of God. And we must be sending the people of God. I believe that's why we must continue our commitment to those things because we're in the day of grace. We're in the church age. The unbelieving world does not realize it, but our presence in the world today is a help to bring strength to the weary, hope to the hopeless, and the message of salvation to the sin sick. Our presence in the world today is very important. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I mean, our presence in the world today is what I believe is helping give life, help, hope, and healing to hurting people because there is a power that lives within us that comes from heaven who is God himself. But there are so many that say, oh, the church is the problem. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, the church is not the problem. The body of Christ is not the problem. It is those who reject the love of Jesus Christ and refuse to accept the salvation free and clear that he brings. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where the problem is. Warren Wearsby said, in spite of its weaknesses and seeming failures, we must never underestimate the power and importance of the church in the world. People who criticize the church do not realize that the presence of the people of, this, of God in this world gives unsaved people the opportunity to be saved. The presence of the church in the world is delaying the coming judgment. I shared with you about the powerful control, but let me finish today by sharing with you about this present chaos. Verse seven, the first part says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things in now you used to do, you'd get in trouble for, you don't get in trouble for anymore. Amen? I mean, there, there's a lot of things now that used to be looked upon as, as being terrible offenses, and now it's just common everyday stuff. Well, John told the church in 1 John 2, 18, he said this, he said, little children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. I want you to focus with me a minute on that word mystery there. Every time we read the word mystery in the scriptures, we know about you, but I still think about the hardy boy. I'm dating myself a little bit, aren't I? And the old Scooby-Doo, you know, I was watching Scooby-Doo one time with my children, and the mystery machine had an iPad and a GPS in it. I said, that is not real Scooby-Doo. Turn that off. That's a, that's a false Scooby-Doo prophet there. <laughs> the mystery machine. Now, a mystery, we read it scripture we know that it reminds us that it is something that has been kept secret from long ages past and it is incapable of being known unless it is revealed by God. He said, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So 
there is a lawless spirit in our world. It is already at work, and that word work is derived from our English word energy. It means to work effectively or to be actively in operation. Would you say that lawlessness in America is effective in its working and active in its operation? Absolutely. We see in our big cities, you hear it all the time on the news about Chicago, how many people every weekend are, are, are murdered and taken, their lives are taken senselessly. It's not just in Chicago and it's not just in Philadelphia and it's not just anywhere up and down the dial, these big cities. It's everywhere across our land, no matter what the scale, the mystery of the word of lawlessness is active and at work. The work of lawlessness in our society is very vibrant, is very vicious, and the rigorous activity of Satan is creating chaos. Where at? Where does he want to create chaos at? Well, everywhere, but he wants to create chaos in government, and he's doing a really good job. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or don't know what, and it don't matter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. How about that? Amen. I'm just a biblicist down the middle. I, I'm not an Arminian or a Calvinist. I'm just a Bible-believing preacher of the gospel, born again, washed in the blood. My Savior got up from the dead, and I ain't got over it yet. Amen? I just believe in the doctrines of soteriology, which is a doctrine of salvation, that whosoever will, let him come take of the water of life freely and never thirst again. I'm not going to get caught up in all the policies and procedures and all that stuff. I'm going to get caught up in the fact that I serve a Savior that loves me, and I still hadn't figured out why. Amen. No, it's not working in government. There's a lot of chaos in government. There's chaos in entertainment has been all of my life. There's even chaos in our religious denominations. Ours, our Southern Baptist churches, the SBC, 22,000 showed up in Nashville this year. I didn't go. I had other things to do. I don't like to go to a convention and watch a UFC fight take off. Amen? No, no, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of things that are being said and done that are just breaking my heart as a Southern Baptist today. I'm not getting caught up in that. You know why? Because there's bigger things to do. There are better things to do. There are bigger fish to fry. There are bigger mountains to climb. There are people dying around us without Jesus and going to a crisis hell. I can't get caught up in that stuff. There's chaos in government, chaos in entertainment, our religious denomination. There's chaos at the White House in case you hadn't noticed that. There's also chaos sometimes at your half, sometimes at my half. See, Satan's just not interested in causing chaos at the White House. He wants to destroy your house. He wants to destroy my house. He's out to do whatever he can because lawlessness is actively working in our society. Preacher, give me some hope. I'm glad you hung around for that because in the midst of all this chaos that's present around us, we can find confidence, can't we? We can find confidence. It's not in a place, but it's in a person. I don't know about you in my lifetime and yours. I bet all of us in this room could testify of a time we placed confidence in a human being that we had a lot of person we really had a lot of confidence in. And somewhere along the journey, our hearts were broken because we had placed too much confidence. We just had to learn a tough lesson. 
I've always said in ministry and in life, people come into your life, they're either a blessing or a lesson. Amen. I've had a lot of blessings, haven't you? Had a lot of lessons too. But can I tell you, the blessings have far outweighed the lessons and the blessings remind me that my confidence is not in just any, any place. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. See, we find our strength, we find our help, and we find our hope, and we find our healing in the name of a loving Savior and a holy God who gave his best for us. Psalmist said this, you know it well. Psalm 121, verses one and two. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Oh, I think I'm just gonna read a little more. Y'all all right? Ain't nobody's phone went off of the beans yet today, so we're good. Verse three. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Hey, it gets better, Keith, where you at? Verse five says, the Lord is your keeper. Hey, hey, Glenn in the back, I'm saying loud so my buddy in the back can hear, okay? The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Hey, wait, this is good. Everybody perk up. For the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Wait, 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 preacher. You said that this world is in chaos. There's trouble everywhere. The mystery of lawlessness is at work actively. What do you mean? Wait a minute. No, no, no. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. So body's going to go down. I can already tell you it's on its way out of here. <laughs> Bible teaches us that this earthly tabernacle, this tent, it's being dismantled. But the soul of man never dies. In verse eight, the Lord shall preserve your going in and your coming in, your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even thought about this the other day on the lawnmower. It's a good thinking machine. And I thought about all that we're dealing with, what we've dealt with, and all that's in the news today about the rise of infections and worrying about schools opening and all the things we had hoped not to worry about this year. <clears throat> I thought about, what if they came on the news this week and said, we have found the absolute cure for COVID-19. And what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to test the blood of every first grader in America because we need a child six years old. They've got to be at least six years old to have enough antibody. And we're going to test the blood of every six-year-old in America till we find one that has the exact mix and match that we can put together this antidote that will cure COVID-19. I'll bet you most every mom and daddy of a six-year-old in America would say, hey, I sure hope my child has the answer. I hope my child has the right blood. 
And suppose they found a little boy or a little girl and they came to the parents and they said, your child has the perfect blood, perfect mixture of all these different things. We can take your child's blood and we can cure everybody in the world. Seven billion people could be cured from ever contracting COVID-19. You know, we'd say, that's fine. Well, sir, I don't believe you understand. Well, what do you need? A pint? Two pints? A pint a week for a month? No, sir. No, ma'am. We're going to have to take it all. You see, your child is going to die but think of all the people your child's going to save. I tell you, we can be as spiritual as we want to be, but we better be real enough to admit we'd go, uh-uh. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'd go, uh-uh, no way, Jose. No, no, we're not doing that. But, sir, you don't understand. You're putting the world at risk when it's just one of your children. It's no big deal. It's a big deal, isn't it? Because I know this. I love all of y'all, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I believe you love me, but I wouldn't ask you to sacrifice your child for me for nothing on the sun. You wouldn't do that, and none of us would do that. If we'd be very honest, we would not do that. Here's what people say. I tell you what, if you was right with God, you'd know that's what you're supposed to do. Uh-uh. I had a lady come to me years ago, had been to another church, and she came in Sunday school, and I had talked the week before about uh, what makes God God is the fact that he's able to give his son for us. None of us could do that. And she wept, and she said, I went to a church where the Sunday school teacher was talking about this, and he told me that if I wouldn't give my son, that God would judge me. I said, no, ma'am, listen to me. God won't judge you for that at all. You hear me and hear me clearly. The reason that all this is so awesome is the fact none of us would give our child to save the sins of one person, much less the sins of the entire world. But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith his great love he has loved us you know what makes God God is because he's the only person ever who could give his one and only son to purchase the lives of all people for all eternity only God could do that no we wouldn't do that because we're not God but I've come to tell you today he did that for you and can I tell you that he provided protection for you for something worse than COVID-19. He provided eternal protection from hell for you if you would only surrender to him. Repent of your sins and trust him as Lord and Savior. That's it. It's free. A free gift from God. He came to give you the best protection the world's ever known. No, there is a time of restraining and we're living in it. It will end. Tribulation will come for those that reject God. But I'm pleading with you today to come to Jesus. Don't play games with your eternity. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. When we do, I want to invite you if God has spoken to you today and made you aware you're a sinner, to come to Jesus. If God has spoken to your heart today as a Christian, said, oh, he's put somebody on your heart you need to talk to that don't know Jesus, come talk to Jesus about it. 
Just obey God. You know, I read D.L. Moody this week and I was asking God to revive the people of God in this local church and here's what Moody said. The best way for God to revive a church is for him to build a fire in the pulpit. And I said, God, if my heart don't burn hot for it, I can't speak to anybody else. And don't you know my heart burns hot for people to know Jesus because what is ahead is no laughing matter. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for the very privilege you give me to stand with your word in my hand, your call on my life, power of the Holy Spirit burning and churning in my heart. Father, we know that we are living in days that we really believe just precede your coming for your church. And Lord, we know that when you come for your church, the restraining force of the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way. And Satan will just unleash all sorts of chaotic things in this world. Father, help us to prepare people to come to you today that they might miss those days ahead not to take it lightly. Help us to have a hot heart that the fire would burn deep in our soul to warn people about what is ahead. And Father, that we'd find comfort in the words of the psalmist of Psalm 121 that even in this chaos that we're in today, we can lift up our eyes to the east because our help comes from you. Father, draw hurting people to the cross of Calvary today. Build a fire in my heart, Lord. And may the fire spread as you build a fire in hearts all across this building and all across this town and all across this county and all across this country. Because, Father, people matter too much matter so much that you gave your son. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I humbly pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet. Miss Connie's playing and we're going to sing together. But if God has spoken to your heart today, friend, don't worry about a songbook. Don't worry about a screen. You just need to run to Jesus. If you're here, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ and you believe this will be the place God have you to serve him we invite you to be obedient today too pray, it in, pray that you do that Marty lead us when you're ready you come as God speaks to your heart white as snow white as snow white as snow though my sins were as scarlet Lord I know Lord
believe how hard I had to work with Connie to get that down there right now. <laughs> In the presence of Jehovah. Did Mark Lowry write that song? He wrote that song, didn't he? Amen. Mark Lowry. Did he write that song or somebody? There's the, the same guy that wrote Standing on the Holy Ground. Oh, hey, that's another good one. Garen Davis. I knew Marty would know. He is a he knows them songwriters. Hey, real quick before we go, uh, I've got a special family. I want to ask you to pray for. I wanted to wait to this time to mention it. I've got a dear friend, uh, Richard Brown, and his wife Denise. Who Richard's probably the most faithful and strongest and solid man of God I have ever known. And um, Richard has been he his family, my family ended up in Bartow County, Georgia in 2005 at the same time. Neither one of us knew anybody. He was serving in a different church than I was and just became a really good friend. Our two oldest daughters are the same age and our two youngest daughters are the same age and they had a son in the middle who just had to do whatever our girls told him to do. And uh, he uh, is um, just a dear follower of Jesus. Well, two and a half years ago, I asked y'all to remember his family. He lost his son tragically, 23 years of age. And this past few weeks, and it came out this week, his daughter, youngest daughter, that's Brooks' age, 21, Erin, who is a sweet, sweet, sweet girl, uh, has had some blood disorders throughout her life, and it's caused a iron overload, which has attacked her heart. She is on a heart transplant list at Emory Hospital right now. They've gone through all the stuff of trying to get medication to reverse that. They've jumped through the insurance hoops and the, can't get the medicine here. Her name is Erin Brown, E-R-I-N. Her mom and dad are Richard and Denise, and her older sister, Haley, is a registered nurse, so that's helped a lot. She's there with them. But I talked with Richard yesterday, and I tell you, he's so strong, even through this. He's serving an interim pastor at Friendship Baptist Church in Cartersville right now, and uh, he told me, he said, I hadn't been able to preach since the past two weeks because we've been at Emory not knowing. He said, but they're closing that unit Monday to only one visitor per day. And her mom is there and her sister lives in somewhere in the area. And um, he said, I'm not going to be able to see her. And I'm only going to hopefully do some FaceTime to be able to stay connected with her till either this medication reverses the heart issue or she gets a transplant. And I told him that I knew something about the people at Heflin Baptist Church. I knew that if I asked you from my heart that you would call out before God on their behalf. And he said that'd mean more to him than anything. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, pre I'm going to go preach tomorrow. He said, but I'm really tired and I'm really weary. And Angie, I was on the phone with him. I said, brother, listen to me. I said, you go preach like a dying man to dying men. You remember at that pulpit, it's a place for the preacher to die so others can live. And you go be broken and poured out for the glory of God. And you give him your best, and he's going to honor what you do. I really believe that. And I said, brother, just go give your best for the glory of God. We're going to trust Aaron into the hands of a holy God because she's got great physicians. She's got the world's best around her. But you know what? We know one even greater the great physician. So he he is trusting the Lord in this, but would you please help me? And I'm going to close in a word of prayer and then Marty's going to sing us out. But I want to ask you to join me in this next minute or two 
just lift up Aaron, Richard, Denise, Haley. Haley just got married, and she's Caitlin's age. And they, I just, that family is very, very special to me. You have them in your life, people that you would lay down in the road for. You'd stop traffic for them to cross the highway. These are those kind of people. And uh, I just want to lift them up because they need it really, really bad, okay? All right, well, let me pray for us. Marty, then we're going to stand. Marty's going to sing us out and give me time to get around back. And don't forget this, church. You know God loves you, and I don't ever forget that I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. You know what old Noah told the whole band up right there? I'm talking to the band. I said, Noah, what I tell everybody at the end of church? And old Noah didn't even miss a beat. God loves you, and I love you, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. The whole band heard that, didn't they, Mike? And you know what? And we want people to know that. Unconditional love is what Jesus showed. And he shows, and that's what he wants you and I to show to a world. So let's pray together and um, on the behalf of the Brown family. Father, in Jesus' name, I join my brothers and sisters right here in the family of faith at the Heflin Baptist Church. We are joining our hearts together right now in one accord, one mind and one heartbeat to lift up the Brown family to lift up Aaron who needs a miracle, to lift up Richard and Denise and Haley as they wait by her side, and God to just trust that the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost of God would strengthen them for the journey that's ahead. Father, we don't know what's ahead, but you do. And it blows our mind that a 21-year-old girl could actually be on a heart transplant list here today. But Father, we know you're greater than that. You've been greater than any obstacle that has came their way thus far. And Father, I know you will be greater than those that are in the future. Father, you know what that family means to me. You know what a friend Richard has been to me and Denise has been to Angie and their girls have been to our girls. And God, we're just praying for a miracle because we believe we serve a miracle-working God. God, they've been through so much. I pray your glory and I pray your power be manifest to them in a mighty way. Father, there are so many others I know among this congregation. We all know people right now who are struggling and hurting and in need of a breakthrough from God. And Father, even though I don't know all those needs, they are known to you and I lift those to you today. God, I know that you're able to work when none can hinder and you can come with a breakthrough at any time. And we just pray, God, and we rejoice in advance what we believe you're going to do in this situation. Thank you again for your great grace. Thank you for the privilege to stand before your people and stand with your word. And may you be honored and glorified through everything we do. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you here Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. God bless you. Send the light, the blessing.